Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. And we are going way in the breach, brothers and sisters, on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We're going to jump right in today um, because we have we're welcoming a, a friend of the show back to the show, Gerard Verschuren. Um, and we're going to be discussing his book, Faith That Makes You Think. Joe Resinello, I love conversations like this, because if you listen, you know, in this spiritual battle we're in, the enemies try to make it seem if you're a religious person, particularly if you're Catholic, you believe in superstition, you're anti-science, um, you're not grounded in reality. No, 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 no. We have our feet firmly planted on the ground and we see the world how the world ought to be seen because we are catholic uh and we're going to get into that with gerard Verschuren. some of you might remember gerard when he was on the show the last time uh having said that quick bio uh gerard Verschuren is a scientist to catch that everybody out there at veritas he's a scientist <laughs> All right. Writer, speaker, consultant, working at interface, the interface of science, philosophy and religion. He is a human geneticist who earned a doctorate in the philosophy of science and studied and worked at universities in Europe and in the United States. Gerard Verschuren, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, our friend. Thank you, Joe and Joe, for inviting me to your great show. I will yeah. be here, and after all you said, I don't think I have to say anything anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's absolutely our pleasure to have you here, Joe Resinello. I'm going to hand it over to you. I was telling Gerard uh, before the show; he was one of our first guests. So you gave you 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 uh, took a chance on us, Gerard, and we've done well. Uh, the two Joes have done well. We so we appreciate that. Okay, so they know how old I am now. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll begin with the prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, amen. O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin, a virgin's our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Gerard, I, I think a good place to start is with the title of the book, Faith That Makes You Think. Um, if someone was to say to you, doesn't faith contradict thinking that we're all sheep, that we just kind of follow along blindly, what would you say? Because clearly that's not what your book is all about. No, definitely not. It's, it, I am saying faith that we have, the Catholic faith, that does make you think. And if you don't think... It's not worth the faith that you are telling us. So what, what I'm trying to say in the book is, if faith contradicts thinking, it's not a faith worth embracing. It's faith, it's faith in nonsense. For faith should be sensical. It should not be nonsense. So I, I always like to quote St. Augustine. 
He could not have said it more plainly. Believers are also thinkers. In believing, they think, and in thinking, they believe. I, uh, I, I couldn't say it better. Uh, I'm not even trying. But if you don't think, you can't really claim that you believe. Some people still think that when we begin to use reason and thinking, we have no choice but to abandon faith. That's what a lot of people think nowadays. Yeah, conversely, they think that if we have faith, we cannot use reason. Well, did you hear that? You have to use reason. In the Catholic Church, that is usually called faith and reason. Pope uh, uh, John Paul II wrote an encyclical on that, faith and reason. And he was not the first one. It was already done by Pope Leo XIII. And basically, St. Thomas Aquinas had already said, you, we need faith and reason. You cannot have faith without reason. And if reason is missing, your worth, your faith is missing. You mentioned Thomas Aquinas, and and one of the things I noticed from, let's say, particularly the the aggressive atheists—they call themselves the new atheists. Okay, we know who they are: Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens when he was alive, um, Richard Dawkins. They never want to talk really about Aquinas. They always just want to dismiss Aquinas as someone that they don't have to argue it for this this reason or another reason, uh, but never, but they won't answer the fundamental question, which is what you said, which is that, well, doesn't Aquinas, isn't the whole Summa Theologiae, isn't it all based on reason? He's making a philosophical argument, okay, is what he's doing. And if yep. you are a thinker, Mr. Harris or Mr. Dawkins, well, then you have to address what he is proposing, okay? Um, and he does it in a way as philosophy does, which is searching for the truth and asking reasonable questions. And, 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 and that's what always makes me think that that's why they don't have an argument. Yes, it is a they thing. It is an us and them thing, okay, because atheists are constantly attacking the Catholic Church, okay? Um, your argument doesn't hold any water. Where Am I wrong in my assessment, Gerard? Oh, no. I, I, I agree completely with you. They don't want to deal with Aquinas. For then they have to use logic and reason, etc. And that's where their case falls apart. So they ignore Aquinas. You are right. Or they mention him very briefly and say, oh, he's an old-fashioned thinker from the, the 12th century. We we don't want to deal with people from that age. Well, but Gerard, but then what I would my response is then, but then you can't, but then you can't cite a, uh, uh, Aristotle or Plato or Socrates or or any of the ancient Greek philosophers. Then if you're rejecting Aquinas based on that fallacious argument, okay, well then you can't address any any thoughts, any philosophical thought from let's say ancient Greece and Rome, whatever the case might be. Uh, but we'll get it. We'll we'll get into more of that later. Um, so this book. Okay, faith that makes you think. Uh, in our research, um, you said you wrote the book for Catholics, but but basically not just. But you broke it down a little bit. Falling away Catholics, lukewarm Catholics, struggling Catholics, would be Catholics, and all of those in search of the truth. Kind of sounds like everybody, Gerard. Is that correct? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I'm I'm touching on everyone. It's 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 basically for everyone. And if you are not a Catholic, I think after reading this book, you, you, you think, yeah, I, I should really consider those Catholics. I should really consider 
Thomas Aquinas. And I should just uh, throw all the atheists away because they are not thinking logically most of the time. They say they do, but they don't really do that. So I could have also said, yeah, the book was written for people who, uh, who, who believe only in science. And I will tell them that that is the wrong idea. Or people who were, who were you know, emboldened by the atheism of the people you mentioned already, uh, the, 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 the Dawkins, uh, Hawking, all those people. And they wrote so many books trying to sell their religion, for I think they are really selling us a religion. But it is not really a religion based on God. It's a religion in their own godness. So... You are right. The book is written for many, many people. And I hope that all of those people feel addressed in the book. And I know they will. Well, that's the thing. We, we, we have to equip ourselves with knowledge. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, because we're, as we're speaking, you know, we're relying on not only faith, but reason. And you have to make a reasonable argument. Even scripture says you have to be prepared to defend that which you believe in. Okay, I know I'm paraphrasing that. Gerard Vashurin joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. His book is The Faith That Makes You Think. Joe Resinello. As uh, Joe P. Uh, read in the bio, Gerard is a scientist. He's a human ge geneticist. I mean, goodness gracious, it doesn't get more scientific than that. Um, how does our Catholic faith in science intersect? I think that's a great question. Um, and I think a lot of people uh, ask that question because it does. Uh, could you break that down for us? Yeah, science in itself is incomplete. It cannot answer a lot of questions that we have. We will probably go into that later on. And religion on its own is also insufficient. So we need them both. Um, from ages on, it has been called, we are reading the book of nature, which is what science does. And we are reading the book of scripture, which is what religion and the Catholic faith does. So they come from the same author. The author of those two books is God. That's why they can never be in conflict with each other. And as soon as there is a conflict between faith and science, we have a problem, and we have to deal with that problem. I, um, I, I always compare uh, the, the, the fight between those two, science and religion, with the image of a, a, a football field. In a football field, when one party on one side of the field advances, that's always at the cost of the other group. That's what people think of when they talk about science. When science makes advances, then that is at the cost of religion. That's not true. Uh, when science makes advances, it's not expanding its territory. It's just getting more details about its territory. So a better picture than the football field is, sorry, I don't have a, a better image, is the tennis field. Um, in a tennis field, you stay on your own side of the net. And you, when you make advances on one side, that means that the other side is not gaining more territory, but we are both on both sides of the fence. And good fences make good neighbors, as I always said, say. So we should really make sure that uh, faith and science are not in conflict 
with each other. They are, it looks like they are battling each other, but that is not really the case. So that image, even of the tennis field, is not very good. They are both two parts of life, the book of nature and the book of scripture. Uh, Gerard Vachuren joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his book, The Faith That Makes You Think. The person that comes to mind for me, based on what you just said, Gerard, is uh, the famous atheist Anthony Flew. Okay. And for decades, I mean, if these guys think they're smart, Harris and the rest of them, Anthony Flew is a supremely intelligent man. Okay. And he based his atheism um, on science. Okay, he did what they do. But here's the thing. You mentioned advancing down the football field as science and technology advances. And because uh, he wrote a very famous book, uh, There Is No God. And early on in the early 2000s, OK, he never converted to a religion, but he wrote another book uh, titled There Is a God. Now, he was as much of an atheist. He was as much of an atheist. Um, as as any of them, okay, but maybe even more so, okay. He argued and debated with everybody, okay, um, on the on the religious side, and he came to the conclusion. Had he lived longer, he probably would have converted to Christianity. Uh, but he came to the conclusion that there is a God, and that was based on reason, because of the advances that you described when you're moving the football down the field. The advances in science didn't lead him away from God; they led him towards God. Because he said, using his reason, he said, this cannot be just by natural selection, now I'm paraphrasing, but by natural selection or evolution, this, looking at, let's say, a cell, this is designed. It's obvious. I'm using my reason to say that it is. And he came to the conclusion there is a God. Um, and so I, I wanted, to, wanted to make that point because pe a lot of people out there have a misconception that the, the more science advances, or at least this is the way the four horsemen put it, Scientific advancement will move you away from God. Well, not so with Anthony Flew, and I think he was much more intelligent than these gentlemen. What say you, Gerard Verschuren? Oh, I agree. He was a very smart guy, uh, much smarter than, as you said already, those new atheists. Um, so I'm sure later on we will get into, can you prove that God exists? I, I, I say yes, we can. But le let's face it. Uh, if you bank all your capital on science, you are going to lose because science is limited. It's very limited. And maybe we can get into that later on. Well, we'll, I, talk, about, we'll talk about that. And also, it's, it's, uh, I want to hand it over to Joe, because we, we do I have a lot we want to get to within a limited amount of time. But it's like it's the dismissive. It's always dismissive. We mentioned earlier, they dismiss Aquinas. They dismiss philosophy in general, OK? Um, they say, we, ha we, we have science. We don't need philosophy. Uh, I'm going to leave. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. This was Richard Dawkins' best response to Anthony Flew's book. There is a God. He said, "Well, he's just old." That was <laughs> yes. his best response. Joe Resinello. As as yeah. we all know, um, you know, basically, faith is under attack today. It simply is. Uh, you hear terms like, you know, follow the science. You know, they just negate, you know, universal and eternal truths of not just the Catholic faith, but, you know, of Judaism, of those who uh, are Muslim, um, beliefs that have gone on for centuries. Um, clearly, some of those arguments are coming from the science community, the scientific community, but they're also coming from the elites that run everything in Western civilization. How can your book uh, help people navigate through that, like, barrage 
of conversation because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And, uh, you know, we need to go to resources and people like yourself, Gerard, that can help people navigate through that fog because many people are fooled and many people go the wrong way because of what they hear. Yeah, and unfortunately, those atheists have very powerful tools. They uh, not only do they have the press behind them, but also the academia. So they, they infiltrate everything in our education and in our information, uh, unfortunately, with the wrong arguments and the wrong reasons. So they keep hammering on the conflict between science and faith. So in my book, I keep hammering that there is no conflict between science and faith. So I, I give many examples that science and faith are not in contradiction to each other. They are not in conflict with each other. Let me just quote the founder of quantum physics or quantum mechanics, who was a brilliant physicist, Max Planck. He put it very well. It was not by accident that the greatest thinkers of all ages were deeply religious souls. And nowadays, we can just say that there are many scientists who are religious. <clears throat> and there are many religious thinkers who are scientists. There is a, a, a big group in America now called the Catholic Scientists, and it has so many members, and they are very well known in their field, but they say we are Catholics. So the idea that there is a conflict between those two is not based on facts. It is based on counting noses, I guess. I don't know what they do. Or they are going by the media and the academia and the books that they publish. Oh, they fly off the shelves. So what I am hoping and praying for is that my book and similar books are flying off the shelves to counteract all of this. Well, th thank God. <laughs> thank God, Gerard, for sure. And your book is flying and others are, are, are flying off the shelf. Um, we've kind of talked about atheism. I know I think you spend an entire chapter at the beginning of the book discussing uh, atheism. We talked a lot about it. You mentioned that their books fly off the shelves. That, so that would lead to a question that we have here at the front line with Joe and Joe, okay? Why, we, there's a rise of what we're calling the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, okay? No religion, all right? As though as though somehow, some way, the, the atheist scientists offer a better worldview or, or we can't demonstrate all the atrocities that they've committed in the name of atheism and, and scientism, but we won't get, maybe we'll get into that later. But there is this reaching for no God rather than reaching for God. Um, and we see that because, like you said, their books fly off the shelves. There are people that are very proud to say, oh, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. They, like they kind of beat their chest with it. Why is that, in your opinion, Gerard Vachurin? Yeah, I, I'm sure there are many answers to your question, which is a great question. And um, I, I think one of the problems is, and let me start with that one, that most atheists are just, they are not the, the belligerent kind of people that want to fight with you. They are just unaware of God's presence. And that is because they haven't been brought up with belief or with faith. I call them the unaware atheist in my first chapter. They are unaware that there is something uh, around us 
that the religious dimension is completely gone. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI, he, he hammered on that all the time. He said, we are living in a world where there is no religion anymore. It is not so much denied, but it's ignored. So we, um, we are unaware atheists. And, and the, the ones that want to get a little deeper, they say, oh, I am an agnostic. Well, agnostics are undecided atheists. They say we can't prove there is a God, but we can't prove either that there is no God. But I don't think agnosticism is that harmless. It is basically looking down on believers as if they are ignorant. And besides, agnostics say yeah, we don't have scientific proof that there is a God, but agnosticism is not a scientific truth either. So they are really very inconsistent. But the most, and that's what you are referring to a lot of times, is the most atheists are uh, brainwashed by science or by scientists. But I don't think science tells us that there is no God, because science cannot deal with immaterial things, and God is immaterial. We cannot haul him into our laboratories. So they, uh, they were brainwashed by science. And then the militant ones, they say, that's the next step. They say there is uh, science is the best thing for society. Well, <laughs> the, uh, someone who said that was uh, Adolf Hitler. He thought yeah. that's, that science was great and would help this world. What ended up in his in Nazism is the, the most horrible things that could ever happen. And we see the same in, in the communist countries. It was during Stalin and Lenin and all those people. They were very militant atheists. And what did they end up with? With the worst thing, the Gulag Archipel, the concentration camps. So not believing in God has very bad side effects. And we can't ignore those. Well, because because there's no because there's nothing that grounds your morality. Sam Harris says, "Well, morality is just consensus. Yeah, whatever makes you happy." Does he again? He's supposed to be the smart guy. We yeah. know that that's not true. What if what if everybody in the country decided? What if everybody in a particular nation was to just wake up one day and say, "You know what? Our nation would be better off if we didn't have all these Jews." Okay. Well, guess what happens. If that's morality, then your morality is empty because you because obviously consensus is not what determines morality. Okay, it's got to be objective. It's got to be grounded. And, and yes, yeah. and the only and the only morality can be grounded in God. Yes, it's called the Ten Commandments. Okay, yeah. it's called the Golden Rule. Jesus made it. Jesus himself made the Ten Commandments a lot easier by bringing it down to two: love God and love your neighbor. I'm going to kick it over to Joe. I want to make one comment is that they rail against systematic religion. All right. So um, in other words, uh, organized religion, organized religion. Yeah. It's so bad, but you yeah. just mentioned Nazis, communists, you know what they all have in common systematic atheism. Yeah. Okay. Systematic atheism. That means it's part of the political system is the imposition of atheism. Thou shall not believe in God. And then we, we see the piles of bodies and the rivers of blood in the last, just in the last hundred years that that's led to Joe Restinello. We have a few minutes before the break. 
I want to break this down a little bit because I think like atheism, I'm not in their heart. I don't know why people don't believe. And I think to your point, Gerard, talking about some people just weren't brought up in the faith. Um, and, you know, you're at a disadvantage, clearly. Uh, but there is something written on the human heart, which is called the natural law. And that always leads us to God. The natural law always points to a creator, which is God. Um what I kind of want to explore a little bit is I do believe that a lot of people who have this, you know, unbelief idea, um, it has everything to do with the will when you get right down to it. If you are a person searching for truth, honestly and objectively, you will always find yourself in the Catholic Church, always. I've seen this time and time again on Marcus Grody's show on EWTN. When people are objective and openly searching and really searching and reading and inquiring, they always find themselves in the Catholic Church. Why I bring that up? It's the will. I will not serve. There comes a point where someone is searching and then something comes up. Oh, my gosh, I'm divorced and I just got remarried. This says I can't do that. I'm not doing that. Oh, the church says I can't contracept. I'm not doing that. The church says I have to live modestly and share with those around me, not just my family and provide. I'm not doing that. Talk about that, because if you get right down to brass tacks, it has a lot to do with will and not your, science. Your, your, your strong point is the will. They are not willing to give up certain things. They are not willing to believe. I, I, I always find it very uh, interesting that St. Thomas Aquinas, which we have mentioned many times, uh, he is uh, as brilliant or much more brilliant even than Flu or whatever, whoever you want to mention. He's he also says, Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't hurt. <laughs> My gosh, that's why you are so biased about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know you are right. He was a smart Italian. And he used to say, whereas unbelief is in the intellect, in our thinking, the cause of unbelief is in the will. The will can cause us to dismiss what the intellect tells us. And that will is so important. I, I like to mention, hooking on to what uh, we just discussed, that... Uh, atheists are not willing to believe so they uh, even if you give them the best arguments they are not accepting them because the unbelief is in the will and one of my favorite atheists if you can say that was Jean-Paul Sartre he was a French philosopher and he was uh, he was really anti-God anti-religion so he, he was so smart, like Flu, he said, if there is no God, then there is no heaven where we can put our standards in, where we can find our standards, the objective standards of good and bad. And because he was an atheist, he said, there is no standard for good or bad because there is no heaven where all of this is sanctioned. Well, the interesting part is that this man, smart, Jean-Paul Sartre, just before he died, and he was completely in control of all his, uh, his intellectual capacities, he said, I know now 
that there is someone who put me on this earth, which is God. When I heard that in an interview, yeah, it's a, it's a while ago, but I, I was around <laughs> when he gave that interview. I couldn't believe it. I thought, is this the same Jean-Paul Sartre? Yes. So he got attacked by his old friends. And he said, oh, he has become senile. He wasn't at all. His doctor said he was very healthy and in good shape. But he had finally seen that his unbelief was in the will. And he was finally willing to acknowledge that there is a God. Gerard Vershuren is joining us here on the front line with Joe and Joe. This is a great, great conversation. The Faith That Makes You Think. That is Gerard's book. Gerard, where can our audience buy the book? You, I think the best way is to go to uh, Amazon uh, and just type in the search title, Faith That Makes You Think. I, I, I don't want to give my name not to keep it hidden, but it's an awful Dutch name. So people will misspell it and not find it, or they will find other people that it's not me. So I would just say on Amazon, faith that makes you think. Thank you for that, Gerard Vershaw. We're going to come right back after the break and continue this great conversation at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Don't go anywhere. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello. we are way in the breach with a dear friend of the show, Gerard Vichurin. We are discussing his book, which we encourage you to go and buy. Faith that makes you think we don't ordinarily recommend Amazon. In this case, we will, because that's the best place to buy it. So please go on Amazon and go buy the book. Joe Resinello. We're kind of talking about, and I want to explore that a little bit more, what you were saying on the other side of the break about the will, because I think that's a very valid uh, point. And I think it has to be like, I think we could talk a lot about it. And I just want to tell a story about that. I went to a lecture many years ago from a Jesuit who was both a philosopher and a physicist. And I went with a friend of mine who was also a scientist. And his thing was, Father Rabello, God rest his soul, um, he said, I can prove the existence of God without using the word God. Now, he is a philosopher and a scientist. He had two patents to his name, a physicist. And my friend Emilio was a scientist from Spain. And I thought he laid things out in a way that were irrefutable, irrefutable. Afterwards, I go to lunch with my friend and I said to him, I said, that was just amazing. Like, I never heard such a dissertation. And like, uh, he never used the word God. And my friend looked me square in the face, a million times smarter than me, a scientist, and he just goes, I don't agree with his math. I was like, how? How can you not agree with this man's math? It was laid out perfectly. That's the exact thing we were talking about on the other side of the break. It, it doesn't matter about how perfectly you lay it out. It has everything to do with the will. I will not serve. Your thoughts on that story? To this day, I always remember it, and I've said it before, because to be honest with you, I think it, it, it's a great example of what we're talking about. You know, Joe, the, the interesting part is that St. Thomas Aquinas, um, in his proofs of God's existence, 
doesn't use the word God either. He, 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 he says at the end, and that's what we call God. But at the end, after he has proven that God must exist. So he is, he's basically saying the same thing. You can talk about God without using the word God as long as we are talking about the same person in heaven before the world came into existence and who will be waiting for us when the world, sorry, I have to mention that too, when the world does not exist any longer. Sorry, that's bad news for a lot of people. But uh, th there is a beginning of the world and there is an end of the world. Um, interestingly enough, the famous physicist, Father George Lemaitre, whom they say he started the Big Bang Theory, he said, with the Big Bang Theory, we know now that the world, the universe, has a beginning. That was not so accepted. Even Albert Einstein thought that the world was eternal and didn't have a beginning. So he, he, he was fighting uh, the famous father, George Lemaitre, and he said, your, uh, your, your math is fantastic, but your physics is horrible. Well, a few months later, he changed his mind. He said, you were right. There is a beginning of the world, and, and I'm adding, and there will be an end of the world. So you can talk about God without even use the word of God, as long as you know that there is a beginning of the world and an end of the world, and that it is done by what Thomas Aquinas calls the primary cause, the first cause. God is the first cause of this world. Without the first cause, there would not be a world. And that is talking about God without using the word God. But Thomas Aquinas, of course, comes to the conclusion, and what we call the primary cause is what most people call God. Ooh, that's heavy. That's heavy. No, no, no. Well, but that's that's the thing. He makes the the argument is a metaphysical argument, metaphysical proofs. Okay, uh, dealing with first principles, as you said. All right, without having to mention God. So he's arguing from a position of reason. But then the logical conclusion is this is what all men call God. Let's move on a little bit. Christianity, the Catholic Church, is taught. Uh, since its inception, okay, that we are made in the image and likeness of God. We are special. That, yes, all you atheists out there, you too are special, okay? Because of that fact, the atheists and other people, yeah, let's throw a couple more into the mix. People like Carl Sagan, okay? People like uh, some of the other ones that are out there now. Their argument is there's nothing special about you. It's a direct attack on Catholic teaching. It's a direct attack. When you try to convince people that there is nothing unique or irrepeatable or special about you at all, okay, um, the argument that's used is because we know there's nothing special about you or any of us because we evolved. We evolved from lower species. There wasn't this hand of God that came down and fashioned Adam out of the dust of the ground, even though they'll say life started when lightning struck a, a chemical soup uh, on the earth, and that gave forth life. And But they'll say that that's not a fairy tale, okay? Uh, you know where I'm going with that, Gerard. But the point is this. They convince people that there's nothing special about them by telling them that we evolved, by promoting evolution. What's the problem with evolution? Because I, I'm going to say, I, I'm not speaking for either one of you, okay? I believe it's nonsense. 
um, I believe the I believe the whole theory is nonsense. That's why it remains a theory. But it's taught as fact, and more importantly, people people, you know, they imbibe it as a fact when it's not. Gerard, I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, I am. I am a human biologist and geneticist, so I was brought up with the idea that there is evolution. And I, uh, I must say that there is a lot wrong with evolution, but the idea is, is not that bad because most people think if there is evolution, there can't be a God. No, that is not true. Evolution is about how events are related to each other. What came after the other and how did that happen? Whereas creation is about how events are related to God. God, or the primary cause, the first cause, is behind all that is happening there. So does evolution explain everything? Um, I don't think so. But still, I believe that there is evolution. But evolution is about the, the physical parts of us, not about the spiritual parts of us. Uh, because physical events cannot cause a soul. They cannot cause what we are known to be human beings with reason, mind, and soul. So that is related to God. Where does that come from? From God, because we are made in his image and his likeness. So in his image is reason and mind and thinking and spirit. So where that, does that come from? I don't believe that comes from evolution. <coughs> Excuse me. So evolution can't do that. As, as many scientists who are religious say, the spirit does not fossilize in the layers of the earth. So where did the spirit come from? The, the soul from God. And without God, we wouldn't have a soul. So a soul is not a, a physical entity. You know, we had this, this guy in... Uh, in uh, Haverhill, Massachusetts, he was a physician. He thought, I'm going to weigh the soul. So when people were dying, he weighed them before they died and he weighed them after they died. And he found that the soul was 21 grams. Well, <laughs> we can laugh about that now because that means he took the soul as something physical. But the soul is not material. You cannot weigh a soul. Majora, let me ask you a quick question, and then I'm going to hand it over to Joe so we can keep it moving. But when you make a very, I think, simple, not simplistic, okay, but yet simple argument, say, to an atheist, to, a, to an evolutionist, okay, you say, well, how does mind come from matter? Rather than address that, which is a basic question, and anybody, anybody with a brain cell can ask, well, how does material turn into something immaterial, like my mind, okay? Um, where does that come from? Then what they do is just dismiss the idea that you have a mind. You mentioned <laughs> yeah. the soul. Well, there is no soul. That's just chemical processes that make you think that it's a soul. It's just all physical. My point is that they never, ever want to answer these important questions. That I'd like to break it to them. Those questions are never, ever, ever, ever going to go away. People for all time will ask these same questions, and that's just the basic one. And if you can't answer those questions, well, then that's where I come from. Then I doubt your, doubt your position. See, because we're Catholics. We don't shy away from debate. We don't shy away from argument. 
And we that's what we're talking about here is your book, The Faith That Makes You Think, okay, because we use our reason. We're not afraid of anybody's argument because we're Catholic. But yet when they dismiss certain questions and certain arguments, then I know that they are afraid. That's my two cents. Joe Racinello. Yeah. yeah, no, you are completely right on that, uh, Joe. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, but it shows, I, but it shows I, a cowardice. It, it may, shows may a, I, a cowardice, Gerard. May I, may I just give you one reason why I think that they are wrong? They, they consider that the mind is the same as the brain. Well, that can't be true. For the brain cannot study itself. So it has to have something beyond the brain which is the mind, and without the mind, you cannot study the brain. Only the mind can study the brain. And the funny part is that they themselves are studying the brain, but they do that with their mind. The mind of the scientist is necessary to find the brain. And what is interesting is that even physicists, physicists nowadays are saying that there is the mind somewhere in the process when they talk about that we cannot measure. Uh, um, yeah, sorry, this is a little bit physical, but uh, I think it's an answer to your question, I hope. If it's not, don't tell me. Um, it's um, When we, we deal with the fact that... Uh, um, Modern quantum physics says you cannot measure at the same time the, the, the speed of something and the position of something. You cannot find it at the same time. So because why not? Because it depends on when the scientist measures things. So we are bringing in the mind of the scientist who decides that he or she is going to measure the position of something or the energy of something. So the mind is there again. And there is no science without the mind of the scientist. Thank you for that, Gerard Vachur, in his book, Faith That Makes You Think. Go buy it on Amazon. I know there's a collective gasp out there at the at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network that Joe Pasillo was saying, go buy it on Amazon. But that's where Gerard's book is available. Ergo, go out and buy it. Ergo, by the way, is a philo philosophical uh, word. Joe, go ahead. <laughs> Let's talk about the soul a little bit, because I think this is something that, you know, could generate a lot of debate with especially a scientist because it's not a tangible thing. I mean, like your finger is tangible. A flower is tangible. A tree is tangible. And you could break down the scientific through science, what they're comprised of, you know, cells or, or just, you know, through a microscope and break that down. But a soul, you can't. How do you go about explaining that to someone? Like you have a soul just like you have a body. Um, it's a basic concept of Catholicism. We, we're made up of soul and matter, a body. How do we approach such a subject with somebody, particularly somebody who is deep in the science? Because I think that's a sticking point. Someone would say like, how do you prove it? How do you prove it? Obviously faith is involved there, but what would you say to that person, Gerard? Yeah, first of all, you used the word proof several times, uh, and which is correct. Uh, you cannot prove anything in science. I know this is a very strong statement that I am making. You cannot prove anything in science. In a few months, someone else may come up with a better hypothesis, and we say, oh, what we thought was proven 
was not really proven. But anyway, that's a, another part. I always say a body without a soul is a corpse. And at the moment, the body is alive. That is thanks to the soul. But when the body dies, the, 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 the DNA and the cells and all of that are, are still right there. But somehow the soul has left the body. And when the soul leaves the body, we have a corpse. And, and the opposite is true too. A soul without a body is a ghost. So the soul in itself is a, is a hard thing to talk about. But still, it's a reality. So I, I use always the example of uh, uh, someone who was basically an atheist, but I, I correct him by explaining it better, I hope. Uh, he, he said, if you go to the campus of uh, Oxford University, for that's the example he used, and you see all those buildings and all those buildings, and then at the end of the tour, you ask the question, and where is the university? That is in that frame of mind, a stupid question. You just saw the university, all those buildings. But what is the problem? That the person who asked that question was thinking that the university was another building. No, it's not another building. It is the, all the buildings together. Without an university, those buildings would not exist. But the university is a non-material entity to put it that way. It was, let's say, an idea someone had to start a university. So at the moment you say the soul does not exist, it's like saying the university does not exist. Of course, that is wrong. The soul is a reality. Uh, can I prove it? Not experimentally, of course, for the soul is not an physical object, it is not something that can be measured, counted, etc. It is a supernatural entity. And we know it from philosophers, you know, Aristotle knew about the soul. Of course, Thomas Aquinas knew about the soul. Uh, just denying it does not make it disappear. And I say it again, a body without a soul is a corpse. What is the difference between a body that is alive and a body that is a corpse? The soul. It is like the university explains why all those buildings exist on the campus. I hope that image helps a little bit. It does not prove anything in the technical sense of the word, but proofs are hard to come by, even Let in court. Let me try to like uh, give an example, and I'm interested in both your comments on it. I would say the soul animates the body, or the soul can darken the body. And wh why do I say that? If you meet somebody who is in a state of grace, what do I mean by that? Going to confession and receiving the Eucharist, which is viaticum, food for the journey. Um, their body is animated. You see it in their eyes. You hear it in their tone. You see it in their actions. Their soul is animating their body. Now, conversely, the soul can darken the body. If someone has chosen to turn from God, you could hear it in their voice. You could see it in their eyes. You could see it in their actions. To me, that is a tangible, like, it, like it's evidence like people who are far from God, if you objectively observe them, 
there's a darkness to them. I'm going to be truthful with you. I can perceive it. I could talk to someone in an elevator and the tone that they just put forth versus somebody whose soul is animated by God, meeting them on the street, for example. What do you think about that? Because I personally believe that that is evidence that there is a God. Joe, you are perfectly right. And you could be another Thomas Aquinas for you. Oh, even, I don't know about that. <laughs> you even used the word animated. Yeah, the soul animates the body. And what is what what happened to the soul in paradise, there was the fall, the original sin. So we all have a soul or a mind. The mind is the intellectual part of the soul, if you want some technical terminology. The, the mind and the soul can be darkened, and they were darkened by the fall in paradise. And only by believing in God can we try to overcome that a little bit. And thanks to Jesus who died on the cross for us, we were liberated from just being in darkness. And we are in the light sometimes again. And you are right, you can see it in their eyes. Because the eyes are the expression of the soul. They are not separated, body and soul, in a way. They are a unity. So when the body is in trouble, the soul is in trouble too and shows it. You see it in the eyes of the body or the eyes of the soul. So you are perfectly right on that. Did I say that? Yeah. yeah, no, 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 that's that, that, that's pretty clear to me. Gerard Vachurin joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Gerard, let me ask you this. Again, I, I Joe Joe might get mad at me a little bit because I, I love picking on atheists. I do. Not not individual atheists that I meet on the street or that I work with. I love them. I, I, I and, and I love all people, okay? But I have a real hard time with the, the more prominent atheists. I'm tired of hearing, and this is for every Catholic out there who's listening to us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network and any person of goodwill. We have to confront this argument that science and Catholicism oppose each other when a stone-cold historical fact— Father Stanley Yaki at Seton Hall University, he wrote a very large book about this, okay? That, and the title of the book was Science Was Born of Christianity, okay? And we're not talking about Protestant Christianity either. We're talking about Catholic Christianity. Oh, yeah. Now, is he wrong? Am I wrong? Because my thing is this. You hate the organization— that gave you the scientific method. The church gave you the scientific method because the church understands reality as something that could be apprehended by the human mind and we can measure things and we can observe things and we can test things. The church gave you this and it is a direct result of our worldview, okay? So, and then they take that and they say, well, we'll take the science, but you could keep the church. I'd love for your comments on that, Gerard. Oh, I, I really agree with what you said, because the, without the Catholic Church, I think science would not really have evolved. That's what we saw in China. Uh, the, 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 when the Jesuits came to China, they were so surprised that the Chinese had no science about the universe. They had no astronomy. That was really amazing, because they didn't have the Catholic background. Excuse me. It's interesting to know, and we are discovering that more and more, that Bishop Robert Crossetester, sorry, another Italian, introduced the scientific method. He, he, he found, he came up with the concept of falsification, 
which we use a lot nowadays. And the Franciscan friar Roger Bacon established concepts such as hypothesis, experimentation, and verification. In other words, the scientific project, even the scientific method itself, was and is an invention of these Catholic pioneers. Could science have evolved without? Again, that is hard to prove, but I would say it was a sufficient condition. Well, let me, let, me, let me ask you, let me t- just take it a couple more minutes, uh, but let me ask you this. Islam has a different worldview. Okay, I don't mean this to be insulting. Islam has a different view of God oh, yeah. than the Catholic yeah. Church. Catholic Church teaches that God is a God of love, of order, logos, okay? Not so in Islam. And a lot of people I've heard make the point is that's why science did not evolve, did not continue or take root in in Islamic countries and civilization because their their view of God is God is God of a, a God of will, almost arbitrariness. We don't believe that. In other words, we believe that if an object flying across the universe at a very high speed cannot abruptly change course and make a right right turn, okay, Correct. Un, uninterrupted. Correct. Not so with even atheism. Atheists say there is no order to the universe. They, Richard Dawkins has said it only appears that there's order. Well, either way, I can't trust it. And my argument, and I love your comments, um, is that, well, then how do you trust the scientific method if your worldview is that either it's just – an appearance of order it's really just chaos that looks like order or there's or it's just will and it's arbitrariness i don't think science that's why science cannot develop from atheism or islam because there's no logos no i i agree with you and the and the, the god of islam can change anything on the spot and the, the, our god can too of course but that is a that's a, an intervention in his own world we say there are certain conditions in this universe that came from God. Could nature be intelligible if it were not created by an intelligent creator? How could there be order in this world if there were no orderly creator? How could there be scientific laws in nature if there were no rational lawgiver? So there are all these assumptions that science is based on basically coming from religion. Religion tells us that nature is intelligible because it was created by God who has an intellect, that there is order in this world and all the scientific laws in nature and every scientist will still talk about scientific laws. Those laws have no exceptions. Yeah, they have certain conditions and if those conditions change, yeah, then the scientific law cannot kick in. But Gerard, let me, let me, I I, I really appreciate that answer. Okay. Uh, I wanted to just, I'm sorry, because we're coming up on the end of the show. I wanted to give Joe enough time for one more question. Gerard, you know, confusion is at the root, I think, of this, you know, debate. And how did the Enlightenment and Martin Luther kind of confuse this? I know that's a like a humongous conversation, but how did they confuse this, this, these two bookends, faith and science? Yeah, Martin Luther was was kind of extreme. He, he once said, reason is the greatest enemy that faith has. Whew. I can't believe it. <laughs> so that's why he, uh, when he translated the, the Paul's letter to the Romans, he says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith 
apart from observing the law. That is what we all know as Catholics. But he added the word alone in there. Faith alone. No, sorry. It's not faith alone. Faith is always combined with reason. If there is no reasonable faith, it's not a faith worth of it. We talked about that at the beginning. So where do we find all that nonsense? I, con I consider that nonsense. So then we had the Enlightenment that kicked in after Luther. And the Enlightenment is basically giving complete confidence to science. It says everything that science tells us is the only truth there is. Science has all the answers to all our questions. Is that possible? No, that is not. There is so much more that science cannot prove. We all know that love is more than a chemical reaction. We all know that happiness is more than a release of chemicals. That guilt is more than an activity of neurotransmitters. And that grief is more than a cascade of stress hormones. But for enlightened people, they say, uh, that is all non-scientific. Though you know that that is intuitively true, we don't believe it because only science tells us the truth. How do they know that? You cannot claim that by, unless you can step outside science. But it's not a scientific statement. You step outside science, and then you claim that science is the only answer to all our questions. Whew, that is very inconsistent with your own starting point. Well, Gerard Vashur, and we, I will say this. Uh, I would tell them, how's that working for you? Because I will, I, I'm going to just leave you with this. I think that the real dark ages came after the Protestant Revolution, okay, yeah. um, and the Enlightenment, <laughs> and ushered in the darkest age uh, in the last 500 years in all of human history. Gerard Vashurin, thank you so much, our friend, for coming on the show and having this, this let's call it a lively conversation. Um, we encourage everyone to go out and buy your book, Faith That Makes You Think. Thank you, Gerard. You know you're welcome back on the show anytime. Thank you, Joe and Joe. Thank you for your program, for you are doing a lot of good stuff. You are counteracting all the false information we receive through media and academia. Well, Congratulations. We're, 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 we're trying our Italian butts off, I <laughs> promise. <laughs> and thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Thanks for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.